So, hello and welcome to The Home Room. We're not live, but we are pre-recorded from Manchester. My name is Chris and I'll be your interim manager. I'm hoping to get the gig full-time, but depends on how I perform and the results, i.e. if anyone listens to it. So, what is The Home Room about? Why should you listen to it? Well, through a specially selected mix of guests from inside and outside the game, we will give you authentic anecdotes, both funny and sad, first-hand experience and real insight which you won't find anywhere else. Um, why are we called the home room? Well, quite simply, we're sat in the home room in Umbro's headquarters and we couldn't come up with a better name. So without further ado, I'll introduce the four men who've kindly joined us for programme one. I was going to say on my left-hand side, but no one can see that, we have Guillaume Balaguet, both an author and authority on European football. Guillaume presents shows such as Revista de la Liga on Sky Sports, Spanish radio show El Laguero. El Larguero, close. Close. <laughs> and he is the UK correspondent for Spanish sports newspaper AS. And if that wasn't enough, he's written an award-winning book on Liverpool and the first international biography on Pep Guardiola. Before I move on, Guillaume, true or false, you were ousted from one talking head position by Phil Jupiter's of Nevermind the Buzzcocks oh, fame. Yeah, that's right, that's right, because he's famous and I'm not, obviously. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was, uh, we were doing the podcast in the, t the Times with Gabriele Macotti. It was our idea, by the way, and Gabriele stayed and I was moved on. So, still friends with Gabriele, not very friends, but... And yeah, it was, it was, um, they wanted to take it in a different route, but it was, it was one of the early ones and, and we had a great time. For me, some of the most enjoyable things I've done is with the genius of Gabriele Macotti, so I'll forgive him. Okay, so not a tough act for me to follow then. Um, we have Mike Rigg. Some of you may know him as the ex-head of, head of academy at Sheffield Wednesday, chief scout at Blackburn, head of player acquisition at Manchester City, and most mm. recently, Technical director <laughs> at QPR, so we'll correct those job titles, which I've lifted off the internet. Yeah, that's right. They're right? Yeah. Oh, spot on. <laughs> to a technical director at, at City, but head of playing up, heading up player acquisition. Uh, we have Steve Eyre, who started out coaching youth sides and won five youth titles and an FA Youth Cup. And... I think, Steve, you've clearly edited your own wiki page as there's nothing derogatory on you <laughs> on there. Um, He's got a wiki page. <laughs> Why haven't I got one? You have. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, either me or my mum uh, will, have wrote that, uh, will have written that. But uh, no, just obviously delighted to be here tonight with, with some people. Good to catch back up with Mike after I've not seen him for a while. Uh, and enjoy my time at Huddersfield, despite at this moment it being a, a tough task uh, towards the bottom end of the championship and trying to climb up it. Well, hopefully we'll get through the show without getting you in hot water That's or, fine. The, or the sack. And uh, last but not least, uh, we have James Beaumont, a former professional footballer who was on the books at Newcastle United in Nottingham Forest. James is a qualified journalist and sports marketeer, which essentially means he travels the world watching football under the guise of work. Uh, James, true or false, you have a keen interest in minor counties cricket and have acted as an ice cream seller at a number of events. I'm a keen cricketer, but you'll love this one. I was once playing cricket and an ice cream man dressed as a clown came to the dressing room and asked for me. And he wanted... <laughs> 
He wa- he's followed me playing cricket since I was uh, 13, playing for uh, England under 13s. Sounds a bit And he asked me to sign his ice cream van <laughs> next to Shane Warne's name. <laughs> and it was the roof. So the lads changed my Wikipedia page whilst I was batting. And then I kept getting emails from Umbro HR asking if I had an external business. <laughs> That's true. So, Mike, I'm going to pick on you to start with. Okay. Um, I think you were head of academy Sheffield Wednesday from 2001-2005, yeah. around that time. Yeah, about five, so six years. What what differences have you noticed in academy structures in the last few years compared to that time? Um, it, it's quite relevant at the moment, really, because I... When I was, I'd left, I was a technical director of the Welsh FA. And I left there to join Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Sheffield Wednesday at the time and the academies at the time were, had gone what, what's undone, and Steve will be aware of this, the Charter for Quality. So Howard Wilkinson um, and a group of people had developed the Charter for Quality. Right now, I'm actually doing a little bit of, well, call it, you know, voluntary work with the Premier League because the Premier League have just brought through Jed Roddy and the youth department in the Premier League have actually revamped the whole of the youth system to, uh, under what's called the EPPP, the Elite Player Performance Plan. I'd say the, the comparison between what I was managing or what I was involved in at Sheffield Wednesday and what all the clubs are going through now are poles apart. Um, it's long overdue. Uh, I think the Premier League have done a fantastic job in kickstarting this. Uh, and I'm sure it's something we'll get into to, to discussions about because I, I think if and when this is followed through over the next couple of years, it will set English clubs off on uh, as being world leaders in youth development and something which they desperately need to catch up on Spanish and, and, and certainly in particular the Germans. Can I, is it fair to say that uh, a lot of what's being decided has follows a fashion, the fashion of uh, it was... St George's Park is Clairefontaine and now the elitist uh, way of choosing young players perhaps comes from Spain. I just wonder if there is something particularly English uh, about what's, what's happening with... We follow? with yeah, I, I'd say that's a fair... I'd say that's a fair-ish comment, but I'd also say, and, and actually, if you actually work in it, it's not rocket science. You know, the fact that players need extra contact time training, the fact that you need decent facilities to train um, and qualified coaches it's not it's not actually rocket science and you know one of the one of the the discussions that we have there's nothing in the dna of a young boy that grows up in the streets of barcelona which is different to the dna of a kid who grows up in Mossside. it's how they're treated what they've done how much contact time they have the philosophies the and I think what quite you know I think what you're saying there, Guillaume, is quite right. Britain and English football is catching up, and and you know it's long overdue. The the Charter for Quality was a was a brilliant um, model, which kickstarted a lot of clubs developing facilities. If you think of Blackburn's facility many years ago, mm. um, but then it, it it came to a standstill, and it, it's now only been recently revamped, but it's still. Probably they're going through. There's a company, an external company called Footpass, that come in and monitor. It's like every club's going through what's what's basically being described as a, an Ofsted inspection, where there's an outside external organisation called Footpass that comes in and does a four a four day warts and all inspection of your youth system. And at the end of it, each youth system will be given a categorisation: one 
So Manchester City, I think, have recently been been appointed the category one, the right way through to category four, and there's a really strict criteria. And you know, to to, to follow on from your point, yeah, I think I think they're catching up it, on the. It country. wasn't. I wasn't having a go. What I, what I meant was everybody has got to find their way, and there's a lot of myth, a lot of myth about the Spanish way of doing things. Only because we're winning. Mm. We won the Champions League. Uh, sorry, Barcelona won the Championship twice in the last mm. three years, whatever. We won the World Cup, European Championships and all that. I had to say this at some point of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mm. But it, it is wrong to think that that's the way to do things because what, what is the Spanish way? Uh, is it the Barcelona way mm. where you create players and select players to be in the first team? Or is it the Real Madrid way where they actually play in completely different styles when they are 15 than when they are 16 than when they are 17? So there is no Spanish way. It would be a mistake to follow it uh, to, the, to the word. But one thing that, that uh, I think you get in a completely spot on, and having spoken to many managers and coaches about this, they're all agreed, is that what you're going to put together is the best players. They're going to play together and train together, the yeah. best young players. Instead of having one at, I don't know, Peterborough and another one at Hitchin Town, whatever, they're just going to come together, and that's how you're going to get better players mm. by them playing together. Mm. Then, of course, Peter Rob would say, ah, oh, but they're taking them away from us for like 20,000 pounds instead of 1.5 million. Well, excuse me, you have sold players in the past, your position as a club in the big picture has not changed. So what will one million give you when actually you're gonna help English football, both a national team and, 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 uh, and clubs as well to develop? Well, it's, it, it's down to every individual club. I mean, it, using if we're just using Peter as an example, I mean, I know I know Darren and, and Kev Russell quite well there, and they're you know they're passionate about the, the the young players that come through. But Peter have got the op- Peterborough have got the option invest in youth. So if if Peterborough, as an example, want to take their youth system seriously, then they have to invest to become a category one. They have to invest the same as what Manchester United, Man City, Liverpool. You know, Arsenal are investing. So and category one then is irrespective of position, league no, position. No, it's, it's, it's a criteria. Um, I mean, what? It, it, this isn't just about the, the Spanish model is is very chic at the moment, which is great because it, it, they are doing. You know, Spain is doing something right. They are doing something right. So naturally, everybody wants to know what they're doing. But what the E Triple P's done, and 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 great credit to to Jed Roddy and the Premier League, they've scoured the world. They've gone into Europe and they've picked the best models. And they've looked at what's the best facility, what's the best staff, what's the best qualifications. How's... Now, what this is down to, this is down to the individuals, how they apply um, the regulations and what philosophy. So every club's got to have a philosophy. Now, whether the philosophy, and I know what Liverpool, Liverpool's very much under a 4-3-3, and um, you'll know the names of the, the, the lads that were there from, from Spain who... Yeah, Pep Segura and yeah, Rodo Borrell. Yeah. And... Now, I was speaking to a couple of their staff. The... The, the, um, the, the impact that those staff have had on the local, the British, the English staff that are at Liverpool's Academy is massive. That is, I think, and I, that is the secret. I, I spoke to, Coach has been coached. I, I spoke to a lad, young lad there who's, who's, uh, who works with the under-18, Steve Cooper, um, the ex-referee, Cooper's, Cooper's son, brilliant. He said he's learned more from... Pepsi, yeah, more from him in 12 months than he probably has in the rest of his career put together. There's one thing that Pepsi has done for Spanish football and people don't realise. In fact, we, 
we, we need to do something. I need to explain this somewhere in Spain because people, even, even in Spain, they don't realize. In the 90s, when the Olympic Games took place in Spain, in Barcelona, uh, the government put a lot of money into preparing athletes and coaches to give the best of themselves. Yeah. So Pep Segura was member of uh, uh, an institute, a sporting institute in F is called, and he was coaching, and this is a guy that has got a lot of knowledge, has been abroad and knows everything. He was coaching coaches. The consequence, the success we're seeing now is that coaches were coached. That's number one. And they have lots of uh, hang, uh, thirst for knowledge and they want to go abroad and get stuff from all the foreign people that are around. That's what, uh, one of the reasons for, for success. Uh, so you've got coaches wanting to learn. But there's another thing, and this is cultural, and I do not know how you can fight this. I feel that in England, I'm getting my coaching budget as well. In England, say, level one takes three days. In Spain, it takes three months. Right, right there, you've got a difference of, of how much you're going to learn, I suppose. But in, in England, it seems to be a, a hunger to get the coaching diploma, to get to the top to get in a first team, yeah. not so much the learning. Mm. So that mixed with the fact that there is uh, 3,000 uh, A-licensed coaches or pro-licensed coaches, 3,000 in England, 26,000 in Spain. It just explained the success. Not so much what you do with the kids, is how you coach them. I think you would be the perfect example to, to tell us what, what, is, uh, what is that the English coaches have to learn to develop, or do they know enough? How, what do you learn? I think what Mike touched on before about being behind um, but closing the gap, you know, quite, quite quickly, we hope. Um, I think we're in a rush. Uh, I think we're in a rush to get there, uh, and I think we've had enough of entering tournaments and, uh, and not progressing and things like that. Um, and I think sometimes, yeah, we might be in a position where we are rushing our, our potential uh, and putting people in position where they're not quite ready. And by the sounds of it, you're telling me that there is a, a longer structure in Spain to get qualified. And in that, there is a, a duty of care to, to get it done properly. Would you go, if you had the opportunity to spend some time abroad to learn, and would you just, before getting to be a manager, would you have been for a, for a few days, but... Would you manage, uh, would you want to spend some time learning before you actually get given that opportunity again? Or, or, you, or you just want to get the job and then learn it? Yeah, I mean, once you're in a position, though, you're obviously working at the level that you're at. I was lucky enough to work at Manchester City before they became Premiership champions, and the job in, at youth football allowed me to obviously shadow people like Mike Rigg and, and, and within the club. And we went abroad to, to Ghana and, and, and we invested and studied the methods of, of the young footballers there. Um, etc etc you know recruitment issues Barcelona games Real Madrid. yeah that's something I, I would crave but I found myself by choice as manager of Rochdale at the bottom of League One uh, now now I'm at Huddersfield uh, as a coach then you're obviously operating at the level now I would love to to go and see how Barcelona Ajax AC Milan I'd love to go and say to Mike can I come with you on your next journey but in truth, it's not actually relevant to the job I'm doing at the moment, which is in the bottom middle of the championship. So uh, I crave what, you, what you're saying, but the opportunity to do so would have no relevance to my position. James, can you, you know, talk from the you know, perspective of a, of a young professional actually in this system? So what, what, do you, what, what worked, what didn't work? What did you need more of? What wasn't there? Um, I mean, my time at Newcastle, I first went there as an eight-year-old, um, and John Carver, who's now, you know, well-established, well, 
recognised, you know, coach at senior level. He was kind of overseeing that kind of eight to sixteen year olds, very technical coach, you know, very enthusiastic. And he kind of installed at a very early age, you know, that ability, you know, to that technical love of the ball and, you know, a very different way of playing that, you know, clubs 20 miles away would, you know, were preaching very differently. So my kind of education there, you know, was fantastic. Where it changed and where, you know, I've done a study on this, um, was where you looked at the Charter of, of Quality, which was at the time revolutionary. It was a fantastic, you know, platform. Yeah. Um, which had, you know, which was a massive change from what it had been to. So at ten eleven, this came in. Um, now, you know, that's outdated for whatever reasons. But it was all brilliant. New training grounds were built. You know, state of the art. You know, technology, fitness coaches, diet, dietitians. So this was all kind of happening as I'm going through the system. Um, but you know, whether it was my ability that failed me in the end or lack of opportunity, I'm not sure. But it came to a point where I was at. Newcastle for you know the success of the club they were in the Champions League Bobby Robson had a lot of money had to even you can relate it to what you're doing now Steve you know your livelihood depends on you keeping them in the team so if that uh, keeping them in the league so if that means you know you staying there rather than you know kind of pushing yourself Bobby Robson was right we need to keep investing you know Bellamy 22 years old 5 million Genesis a year older than me was bought for 6 million in my position um, so that that was kind of blocked so this educational path was kind of to the, you know heading me. You knew you had to go somewhere else. Uh, yeah, because this was blocked. So I went to Nottingham Forest, a place which epitomised the charter of quality. Did you go there full time or did you go on loan? No, full time. Transferred there. Yeah, um, through Paul Hart, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Preached playing football the way that everyone yeah. Howard Wilkinson wanted everyone to play out from the back. Three months into that, he got the sack and was replaced by um, Joe Kinnear, who was 20 years behind this charter for quality that I'd spent a decade developing through. But don't, but don't you think, though, this is, um, th this is incumbent upon youth systems now? I think if a player's coming through, and, and to your point, I think if a player's coming through a youth system now, mm -hmm. and if every club plays 4-3-3, plays out from the back, in some respect, we're doing our players a disservice because you've got to be able to adapt. Playing in, in Champions League football is a different to playing in second division yeah. football. Is playing. And I, you know what I find, and, and I was actually Wigan under-21s and I was talking to Roberto Martinez the other week. Um, we were sat in the stand and it was, a, it was on their stadium when we were having a discussion. Wigan 21s were playing against Sheffield Wednesday. And Graham Barrow was running the team and I, we sat in there and I said, right, we had a, there was a little bit of a break in the game and I turned to, we sat with Roberto and said, you know, is he got to play? Is he got to play the same as the first team plays it? No, he said he can play whatever team he's got out mm -hmm. there. Change the system. What the boys have got to be able to do is adapt. Mm -hmm. They've got to, you know, if there's an injury, if there's a tactical change, they've got to be able to adapt. They've got to. So there was. He said, what we have is basic principles. He said, basic principles of players have got to work hard, get up to the ball, you know, defend, press. He said, but if they change the system, they've got to be able to change the system mid-game. Because I found the transition from senior football from eight, nine years of academy football where it was all lovely, played along the floor, you know. To then someone's more. So all of, all of a sudden, yeah. I had someone in my face, completely different way. It was, I remember describing it as it was like playing a different game. And I didn't adapt at all to mm. senior football. And I think, you know, that perfect academy, you know, system that the Charter for Quality preached 
correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, you know, of, you know, being technical, maybe they copied off the Spanish or whatever they were taking it abroad. I, c- I couldn't adapt to the, to the demands starts, of the senior English game. Doesn't it all start with the club saying, what kind of club we want to be? Yeah. What's our philosophy? And stick to it, yeah. no matter what. And people would say, yeah, but which ones have been successful? I tell you which one has been successful. I would have said it before they won the, the, the League One Cup or whatever it's called now. Swansea, mm-hmm. only because they are punching above the weight, and they're punching above the weight because of they sticking to an idea. They actually had uh, a file of ten managers that were going to replace Brendan Rodgers, mm-hmm. and they're all from La Liga, because that's where they want them. And, it, and if he wasn't Michael Lodger, but by Michael Lodger now was, do you want to renew? Because if you don't, we still got the lease. Mm-hmm. We want this kind of manager. We've got the idea of what we want, and of course, what's happening is. They sell players because they're doing well, because they're sticking to that idea for the money, then investing it back into the, into the team because they're keeping that idea. And they're now looking through the reserve team uh, to actually develop players for that idea. I think, I think that worked for Swansea, um, but where it certainly didn't work for some clubs that have kind of a strategy in place for the academy or up to 21s, the manager you know, bought into that, but they'd replace the manager, but also all the co- coaches below, and then it'd all change. Every, every person in the club has to fit round the philosophy of the club. And I went to, um, I left City, joined QPR, went down to QPR the first day, the first team were off, walked into the first team cha- in training ground, met uh, the manager's P- PA, Caroline, lovely woman, and the introduction was, hi, I said, hello, I'm, I'm Mike, she said, I am, I'm uh, Carol. Um, I said, oh, how, how long have you been here, Carl? She said, 15 years, 34 managers. <laughs> that was her opening line. 15 years, 34 managers. And every manager that changes, does the club change its philosophy? Does it change its structure? Does it change its system of play? Does it change it? Now, and I, I'm not, not saying what's happened over that 15 years, obviously, because I haven't been party to it. But, the, you know, the point is, set out with a philosophy... And, and this is this is central to E Triple P now. So we're doing a bit of a full circle here. Central to the E Triple P is every club has to have a, has a philosophy. What is your philosophy, and how are you going to stick to it? Now, what's going to happen over the next, hopefully, you know, five to ten years, there will be a, 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 a culture or an understanding in English football clubs that we can't just lurch from crisis to crisis every time there's a problem with the first team. We've got to have some degree of stability. And let's, you know, I always remember talking to Brian Marwood about this when we were at City. Close your eyes, think of an Arsenal player. And what do you see in an Arsenal player? Close your eyes and think of a player from X. Can you see the same thing? And the answer is no. And don't forget that if, if anybody puts the example of Barcelona, just smack his face or her face. Because... This is not a road that went from A to B to C to D to E, etc. It didn't. Mm. It just went up and then down, and there was a crisis. And Teach was the manager at some point. It goes from Johan Cruyff to Robson to Van Gaal, and it's just completely different. They hit uh, the jackpot because they've got Messi, and they've got Iniesta, and they've got Xavi, and they've got uh, Piquet, and they've got. That's one reason. Reason number two: these guys have been playing the same way since they were kids. Yeah. So they get to the first team and they know they don't need much explanation. Who, who would you say was central to that change then? Laureano Ruiz was a guy that in the 70s got rid of a sign that said, you know, I want tall centre-backs and strong people and if they are uh, under 180, 1 meter eight or 6 foot, I don't want him. There was a sign like that. If they are under 6 foot, we don't want him. Yeah. And he got rid of that. 
And all of a sudden, we were like, no, he just goes to the... was one of the guys that would go to... Um, technical secretary of the academy, that was his role. And he will go to see games, and, and he's like, I want that one. But that one is, a, is, a, is a small. Is a, is a, mm-hmm. That's the one I want, because I can see what he can do. And then, little by little, the academy was going a little bit like your academy in Newcastle for a while, but didn't get to the first team. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually then, Johan Cruyff came in and said we want to do this, we want to do this to the first team, and believe in this, even when we lose. Well, and when we lose is when you put it in, in a, a test, you test it. Well, I, I know this for a fact, having, go, being part of EPPP for the time I was there at, at QPR and previously at City, spending time not just at the, the clubs, but also going into other clubs and finding out what they're doing. Every club that I went to was scrambling around writing a philosophy, because they never had one. What, what is a philosophy? What does it look like? Is it a written word? Is it a picture? It, it, it might be your mission statements. It might be how you play. It might be where you recruit your players from. It's, it's your... A it's reference your, point, isn't it? It's a, a message, reference point. Yeah. It's your culture. It's your identity. You know, what... Is your culture and your identity what your manager dictates? Because if that's the case, and in 15 years you have 34 managers, then your philosophy changed 34 times in 15, unless you're picking the same type of manager every time. But the, the, there has to be a heart of the football club with, with what, what you are. Yeah. But having said that, and that question was to you, Steve. Okay. Rochdale, Huddersfield. Yes. Philosophy, what's that about? Survival uh, in this, with Rochdale to answer your first one, uh, staying in the division. Uh, Huddersfield came out of the division the other end uh, via a playoff at Wembley on penalties and to go into the next division. So it's all about um, maintaining or climbing out division and not going out of it. So it's... Uh, it's ruthless. It's uh, a difference straight and, away, and, isn't it? It's not, it's not for the purist. No, but uh, yeah. Mike, Mike is, you, you are talking from the lead. You are at the elite. No, but let me, I'm just going to jump in. And exactly the same example, crew. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, uh, they, they, you look at crew. Yeah. Crew have been on the verge of yeah. bankruptcy. Yes. And they've gone with, because they've had someone in the club that's had a philosophy and he's had a philosophy that has an impact at every level, whether it's with the first team, whether it's with the under-12s yes. on a Wednesday evening, and that's Dario. I think the first yeah. thing they were looking for, Mike, at Crew was obviously survival initially, and then they were looking for the first big player to get to command a big transfer fee, exactly. Dean Ashton. And then they've gone... Oh. And then they've gone, and, 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 and exactly. as you hinted at before, with the transfer fee of Dean Ashton, who was always going to be a top player before retiring through injury, they have invested immediately back into facilities. because yeah, they've gone, hold on, this works. And it didn't work immediately, and it was a slow burner. And yeah. we've seen back-to-back uh, annual performances and wins at Wembley, one, one just this weekend, yeah. and obviously a regular turnout of players competing now in a division above. But you'd probably say, and I understand what you're saying about the elite, because you, you do want to do that, but there's nothing stopping Rochdale from mirroring what Crew did. No. There has to be a desire and a will inside the football club to be to be prepared to do that. But is there is there a risk of clubs copying or just mirroring a, a, an ideal of a philosophy four three three play out from the back, or it, will we see who invents the best ideas? The best ideas come from pinching well, the best. If I just say about the Rochdale situation for myself, they um, created their own philosophy and decided that they wanted a young manager. So I took the position I was thirty nine years of age. And it helped that I'd had 21 years' experience at Manchester City. Fly on the wall, um, schoolboy coach, youth coach, reserve coach, and a fly on the wall, like I said, at the first team level. And that was their philosophy. Uh, we just managed to be uh, avoid being outside the bottom four, 
dropped into the bottom four with a draw with a home game against Yeovil despite playing ever so well it was nil nil I was relieved of my duties and albeit that he's a friend of mine uh, they gave the job then to a gentleman who was like nearly 22 years older than me so the young coach the the the, the, the gentleman on the field who could uh, inspire and develop young players was replaced by somebody out of the division below in League Two who was approaching 60, who was an out-and-out manager rather than a coach. So just to back up Mike's saying about philosophies, you know, one thing is creating them, but what you've got to do is that's, stick with them, support them. That's the test. And first of all, apologies, because I didn't know you had been at Rochdale. So I said that you had been manager for a few days. Uh, I didn't mean to disrespect that you didn't know, but uh, somebody should write the, the history at the moment going back to Spain because it's the fashionable one and Barcelona as well. So once you write the history of Barcelona losing and how they still yeah. stick to the philosophy because everybody's just keeping seeing this Johan Cruyff. I think it went like Johan Cruyff, Louis van Gaal, Rijkaard, Pep Guardiola. Hey. Yeah. And it's not like that at all. There's the other, the other history that should be given to all these people that want to mirror a little bit the, 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 the Barcelona thing, Manchester City. Manchester City start the building from the ceiling by making these amazing infrastructures. Is there any other infrastructures like that in the world? It's like unparalleled. No. It's just unbelievable. No, no. The no. whole project is unbelievable. Philosophy, they talk about fans, being close to the fans. How do you portray that into a football team? I just, I don't know yet. But they seem to think that that is the way. But in any case, they're talking about La Masia. Somebody came up with the word La Masia talking about the Academy of Manchester City. Mistake, because you first have to know what, what you want to do. And all they're doing is buying some players from Barcelona or whatever, when they should be buying the coaches. <laughs> it's the ones that are going to make sense of the building that, that, that's there. I think that will be corrected. There is people there now that know how to do things in certain way, which is more or less what Manchester City want to do. I'm talking of Ferran Soriano, Chique Begiristan, and it may change, but you started, didn't you? You started with the building. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went on into... Well, we started with the first team, didn't we? And then, the first team. you know, a bit of a just, statement there and build from there. Just going back to philosophy, I think, Steve, you, you said the word survival. Will, will we see clubs, you know, openly admit that... Will we ever see a club that says we're, we're not long ball merchants, but, you know, we'll do whatever it takes to stay in the Premier League or stay in division... Yes. Uh, you know the top division or the championship, or we want to just cement that position. However, it comes is yes. that is that a philosophy of any club? Can well, it could, be? I can think so straight away. As much as he would probably sit here and explain that he loves the beautiful game and he trains and plays possessions and does curve skills each morning, but there's no doubt about it. Tony Pulis plays a certain way to stay in the Premier League, and he's done it to fantastic effect over and previous seasons. And at this moment in time, he's not having the best of times, but he doesn't look like he's changing his philosophy. But he's got his own, and it's it's his way of, of, uh, of how he wants to work within his club. And like I say, he's not having a good time at the minute, but I think that's a completely different philosophy to someone, say, of the likes of Arsene Wenger. But there's, yeah. a, there's the wrong assumption that you've got a saying here, the right way of playing. I don't agree with that at all. Mm -hmm. And with, in Italy, in Italian, in French, in Spanish, that expression doesn't exist. There's no right way of playing. Stoke is playing to their strengths. Mm -hmm. And they, have to, they actually have a philosophy, as you say. They, play, they look for players that can play to that kind of style, and why not? Mm -hmm. Ask uh, Rafa Benitez and Ancelotti and people like that, you're going to Stoke next. Oh, bloody hell. Yes, yeah. of course. <laughs> so that course. means, and, and I recently was in Stoke, and, and I said, you've got a myth. People spend a hundred of years with trying to search for myths. You've got the myth of Messi cannot do it on a Wednesday wet night, mm -hmm. cold night in Stoke. 
It doesn't matter if it's true. You've got a myth. You've got people thinking twice when you go to Stoke. It's like, oh, God, yeah, Stoke. It's a very there's difficult place to go. There's no doubt about it. At Stoke, every opposition, especially <laughs> at the Britannia Stadium, they, they simply go as big as they can because yeah. they know, albeit that Rory Dillap's not in the team at the, anymore, uh, uh, they know that they're going to get an aerial assault. So you yeah, and the fans and yeah, the stadium. Absolutely. And the noise. So and I think what Mike said before about uh, youth players and development squads learning to develop and also to uh, adapt, that's key because when you go into the top flight of English football, you've probably not got the same game of football two weeks running. So and I think that's what makes it a fantastic game. So Mike, from a recruitment point of view, do you think Tony Pulis is, if he's buying into the philosophy or whatever it is, do you think he, that's fed down into the recruitment at 9, well, 10s, 11s, 16s, 18s? Very interestingly, they've recently appointed Mark Cartwright, who's the yes, technical director. Yeah. That's the first time the club's ever done that. Uh, Mark was an ex-agent, worked for Beswick Solicitors. Um, great guy, ex-goalkeeper ex for Wrexham. Um, and the, they've just appointed him to be that conduit middleman between the board and, and certainly head up their their play acquisition and, and scouting. But will that feed right down to, if they're part of the EPP, I'm not sure what grade they've got, um, will that feed back into that? I'm not, I, I, can't answer, I can't answer what Mark's doing mm. and I'm sure what what he does do. But listen, if you look at every football club now, um, the people who run the football clubs are businessmen. Mm -hmm. And despite what everybody thinks about the time at Manchester City, and I can tell you that what the reality of the discussions were, yes, Abu Dhabi uh, uh, invested a fortune in the first team. But we were having conversations from day one about investing in youth, about bringing youth players in. Because no club really wants, to, well, you can't now with financial fair play, but very, very few clubs want to keep on spending £30 million pounds and you know, £175,000, £200,000 a week on, on salaries on players when you can have a producing through your own system. So I'm sure whether they do it this year or next year or three years, but if it's something that Stoke have adopted through, through appointing Mark and they stick with it, it will develop over time. Manchester yes, City is, is fascinating because it's all what we're saying here. On one hand, yes, they do have the philosophy, and actually you were talking about it. You were talking about developing that philosophy. But I never heard a bigger gap between the academy and the first team mm. in any other club. Even you know, Everybody else seemed to have, sometimes even players training with the first team. Now the, the academy people, the academy players at Manchester City feel like they are in a different planet to the first team. And it's about believing in the idea. At the top, they do believe in the idea. At the bottom, they do as well. They don't have the manager that believes in it. For whatever reason, they may decide that at the moment it's about winning the league and whatever. But they have to correct that, and there's a lot of quality, brain quality in that club to actually correct it. But there's still that gap that uh, has to be sorted. Do you not think, though, that, that with such a drastic change, it's going to take time sure. what, what, in anything? Um, like the 10 years of charter for quality, the triple P, we might not see results for another 10 years. We might not see lads coming through the city system for another five years. So I, it's kind of I, I think straight away, I think City have, have, have made a brilliant move by taking in Cheeky Bergenstein. Mm. I think that's going to be a, I think that's going to be, well, one unprecedented in football, in, in Premier League. And I think the impact that he will have on the club and already speaking to some of the lads in there, his ideas, his philosophies, 
um, talking to some of the scouts there, they just said it's it's fantastic. In terms of what, Mike? What what they're going to look for? What kind of player they need? What kind of what's the traits of a, a right back that plays like this? Or, mm. And it makes it, you know, you have to. They've been given a brief. Yeah, they've been given a, they've been given a brief, and it, it's, it's it's the same as every every football club. But you know, if I go back, if you keep on changing your manager every six to twelve months. And rightly so, every manager comes in and has a different philosophy and wants a different dim players. Well, it's no surprise then that that manager wants to change his, change all the players. So yeah. they change the manager. You have to change the players because no manager comes in and says, "Great, what a what a fantastic squad of players these are." And I think I think Manchester City have made a you know an unbelievable move in, in bringing in Chica. And you know him better than me, but I know a few people who know him very well. Um, but that has got that has got a continuation and and. You know, people will talk, speculate about the future Mancini. Will he go? Will he? Will he stay? And the point really is, does it make sense in the philosophy of Manchester City to keep him? Maybe the answer is yes, because we still want to challenge for the league, and this is the best way. Or no, because we want to develop a club that where Mancini doesn't fit in. So sometimes it, the, the, for the media, the drastic decisions and the, the things that fill back pages. But is the sticking to that philosophy, which will show us if Manchester City are. Uh, 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 you know, are going to stick to it or not? They should. Could I just mention though? It's obviously, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Manchester City supporter, so this sticks in my throat, uh, and I'm all for seeing that club get enhanced. But it looks like Manchester United are going to win the Premier League by 16 points or more this year, and with the exception of Rennie Mulstey, you know, who uh, assists Alex Ferguson on the coaching. It's largely a great British staff from top to bottom and back up again. So obviously we shouldn't neglect what we have within our own, you know, country and beyond. And I wondered just from your experience, Mike, you know, uh, the other side of the road at Manchester United where there isn't a foreign influx or a, or a Spanish vogue, something like that. What has made them so, so successful um, considering they're not really, you know, a coaching club other than the fact they've got fantastic players? What do you know of there that's basically going to win the Premier League title this what, year. What's really interesting about Manchester United is I don't think anybody really knows. They're, so, they're very, very secretive, and, and which I find brilliant. They're very, very secretive about um, their structures and what they have. Um, you know, you meet the staff and we, we, ha we had a... We, we adopted a... I mean, it's not... Again, it's not, you know, groundbreaking, but we adopted a philosophy at, uh, at City where basically tell nobody anything and ask them everything. And we would go to games, and before you'd even got to game, you'd be sharing a car with three other scouts, and you would know every player they're going for, what they're looking for, what they think, because the one thing with scouts and coaches to a degree, everybody loves to gossip and everybody loves to brag about what great players they've got and what great players they'll, and, and brag about the knowledge. That doesn't come out of Man United. And I think that, again, that, that it's no surprise that I, I feel that philosophy is set, uh, that mandate is set by by Sir Alex. But you know? I mean, obviously, with my dealings with them, you know, we don't really envisage seeing Sir Alex Ferguson doing too much coaching sessions. He's an out and out fantastic manager, the best has ever been. Uh, Mike Phelan, you know, you, you don't hear him doing too many actual coaching sessions. How, how have they I, become I would, so good? Well, I, I was at Altrincham last night, watching them against Southampton, the under 21s, and Brian McClare, I'm, I'm stood on the far side. There's 300 people there. You've got Warren Joyce taking a coaching session. You've got Brian McClare walking around the other side. There's a, there's a group of people who've been there for a long period of time. Yeah, longevity, isn't there? There's longevity. Yeah. And there's no, you know, I, I, I can't say this, I'm an authority on, on certainly what's going on in Man United, but I'm pretty certain that each 
you know, the left hand knows what the right hand's doing yeah. there. Mike, it would appear that Everton are doing the same because I've been in there three or four times this year and there's a fabric within the club. David Moyes, David Weir, Alan Stubbs, Duncan yeah. Ferguson. You d it's not a Alan Irvin. Alan Irvin. Yeah, it's not a mandate Kevin. that you had to have played for Everton's first team with distinction, but it certainly appears to, uh, it certainly helps. Isn't yeah. it? Isn't it the same that we're talking again that people are searching for in England? There's an idea, there's a philosophy, there's a vision, we call it from David Moyes or from Sir Alex Ferguson. And having spoken to Gary Neville and to Sir Alex himself for the, for the pep book that I, I, I've recently published, I gathered that one of the secrets is selection of players. Well, sorry, which book was that? Uh, 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 just, uh, what do you think about that? Do you like it? Where is it available from? <laughs> <laughs> for more good bookstores. Well, no, I, I, I have to uh, show the fact that Ferguson has written the foreword. So, and, and we talked about, about a lot about Manchester United, and it's about selection of players. So you playing in a certain way, and this is the players we want. And he tells the, the, the scouts, this is the players we want. Mm. And the second thing is standards. He wants everybody to be eight out of 10 all the time in training, in behaving, off the pitch, everything. And when they don't, you may be, may be called Wayne Rooney. This is it. Brilliant, brilliant point. I was at the game last night. Nick Powell's playing up front. He's gone from crew. What did he, what did he go for crew for? Five, six million? And I, I asked the question to a couple of members of staff and said, you know, why, how, why have you not got him out on loan? He said, well, we have to adopt him into the Manchester United way. And if he's not doing it in training, it's not that level of consistency. And he was playing against Southampton. He's a five, six million pound player. And to be fair, his attitude was spot on. He was grafting, he was working, he was doing, you know, that, that doesn't matter who you are. If you don't, standards, yeah. yeah. If, you, if your standards aren't, I don't care who you are and how much we've paid for you, you're playing in the under 21s. But if you're, if you're a fan of a, of a lower league team, how how can they be confident that their philosophy can a change or adapt or, and b how how you know they don't have the budgets of these teams right. but so how okay. how do they know if you're if you support a team in League Two right. how can you be confident that that isn't your future I, that you you've got a way out you, we've mentioned crew but well this 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 is one of the things which winds me up a little bit because every it always comes back to well we haven't got the money. You don't need money to have a philosophy. You don't need money to have a technical programme. You don't need money to have great coaching skills. You know, these are all things. You can have a £100 million facility with state-of-the-art equipment, but if you haven't got coaches that instil the right principles in players and have the right contact time and give them the right... That doesn't cost money. Um, and I... Um, you know, one of the... Just repeating the points I said before, doing this work on ETPP recently not one club I visited not one club had a philosophy or a technical programme everybody was scrambling round because they were they were coming up to this Ofsted type inspection yeah. and writing them you know it's 2013 these are football clubs who are developing youth systems who are now scrambling round to write a philosophy in a youth system which doesn't cost money and arguably a lower league team and a smaller club it's manageable it's more manageable. You've got a smaller group of people and you quite, you quite often find out that one member of staff has to muck in and do two or three jobs. Mike, who would be your choice to actually create the philosophy, bear in mind that 46 managers have lost the job in the last 12 months? Um, you, well, you would like to think... Um, there's, 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 a, there's a delegation of authority in a football club. There's shareholders, there's executive leadership team, you know, chief executives, finance directors, and then there's football staff. And I'm, sh I'm sure hopefully this is something, you know, I know Guillaume's got probably a lot more experience than most of us. 
there then has to be a director of football or, or not a director of football, but someone in the club that takes on that role. Now, whether that's an owner who says this is how we want to... So you look at, and, and it's probably a fantastic example of what West Brom have done. You've got Jeremy Peace who said, what was it, 10 years ago, this is how I'm going to run this football club. This is how it's going to run. This is how it's going to work. And everybody has to buy in for that. So they appointed Dan Ashworth. And it's no, Dan, no surprise that Dan, you know, in the last 10 years, has been an unbelievable success. Very low-key, very much under the radar. You know, no press interviews, no, doesn't want to be the first team manager. But that philosophy, by all accounts, was set by Jeremy Peace. So somebody in the football club has to be prepared. And ultimately, you know, that delegation of authority comes under the comes under the, the right of the owners and you have to be also very strong very strong-minded because that goes against the culture of of, of england and britain so uh, i don't know which one is the best way of doing things but there is another way of doing things which is the director of football role that you're talking about uh nicolas cortese for instance at uh, southampton is that kind of um leader at the club with the idea with the vision wants to do it his own way and if that means getting rid of Atkins at the, at, in the eyes of the fans and the media and everybody else at the wrong time, he does so because he's got a, 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 a thing in his mind. Now, that goes against everything that anybody will praise you for in, in England. It's, no, uh, you know, coaches have to be 10 years at the job. Well, maybe, maybe yes, maybe not. It depends. Depends on, again, going back to the same. What is the idea? Where do we want to go? Are we going where we want to go? Is this the person to do so? And that kind of questions are asked by West Brom, by Southampton, by Wigan as well, by Manchester United. So it's almost bravery and patience from the owner. Definitely. The guy who's paying the wages needs to, you know, kind of back himself and not be scared. Big well, James, words, big James, words. Yeah, but James, you don't have to look at it. Clubs lurch from crisis for crisis yeah, yeah, because yeah. You, just, you said before it was the fear of going out of the league, a fear of, and I can understand that, yeah. you know, a, a fear of staying in the Premier League. I can understand but, it completely. But, Mike, are we ever going to get away from that because the rewards are so big that I, I, the, I, if, you, if you're in the bottom half, you're looking over your shoulder? I, I'm sure you are, but I think you'll find there's a different culture of... It's not unsurprising now that West Brom appointed head coach. Paolo Di Canio appointed head coach. Um, it won't surprise me if that terminology, that culture, them, them ideas will come in. So you're keeping that structure, everything below the manager remains the same. You're just replacing the coach if he needs replacing. Well, I mean, you re you, you'll, re you'll make replacements where replacements are needed. Mm. So if there are poor performers at any level, mm. then there should be roles and responsibilities and job descriptions and standards set. Not, this was what the, you know, the whole idea was, not, not change all the backroom staff and the youth team staff and all the scouting staff because the manager comes in and wants to appoint you know, all his people. There has to be some consistency in a football club, but that's going to take some brave decisions. Big style. I mean, you, you just mentioned Sunderland there. Di Canio's brought all his own men in. It won't be long before he's clearing out the academy. Jed McNamee's been there, you know, yeah. A, a long time. I'm sure Di Canio will be looking into that, looking to well, stamp I, his authority on that. You know, you don't know that. I don't know that. But you have to then look at, and go back to this delegation authority, you have to look at Ellis, you know, um, and uh, the, the board of directors, the executive team there, Margaret Byrne, you know, the chief executive, and say, right, what kind of football club do we want to run? And how is it? Now, you know, I'm not saying if... if Academy manager X at a club is underperforming because they haven't produced, then quite rightly so, they should be under pressure. Mm. 
you know, it shouldn't be just a the tenure of job for life because you know you're this academy manager. There has to be it has to be results results driven. And and for fans, football is about is a matter of life and death. No problems with that. But for people at the club, should it be like that? We're talking about a sport, and it's a business, but a sport. You go up, you go down, you go down. You try to make the best of what you've got in your hands. Shouldn't it be like that? Or do you feel like, for instance, Steve, in, in, inside a club, it is so, I don't know, the fear just runs in the veins of everybody because they're going down. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, has nobody asked, so what? I've been at this football club 14 months and the chairman is a very successful businessman and a, a very popular man in the town right. and a big Huddersfield town supporter. And the club itself, although it doesn't sound a long time, they've been trying for 11 years to get into the championship. And at some point this season, they've been second and third in the league. As it happens now, the club and the team are now fourth. Uh, I wouldn't say fear, a little bit of a malaise, a little bit of disappointment, which charges itself back up on a match day. But of course, yeah, nobody wants to go back competing in a division that they've but been in back. for the last decade, you but, know. But go back to, to go back to the example of West Brom. They have a they have a philosophy ingrained inside the club. Plan to stay up, but prepared to be relegated. And in ten years, they've had four promotions, three relegations, but they've stuck to a plan, and they've been relegated and they've rebuilt, but you know what? When they've been re re relegated, it hasn't put the club at risk. And that philosophy has come from Jeremy Pierce. And in nothing else, it saves you money. Because yeah, you don't have to change managers manager all the time and, and, and bring when you want. I can't think we can look any further than Blackburn Rovers to see um, a change in, in the club um, over the last two years has been beyond any type of, of sense. Um, so I think you've seen where they are now in the bottom three of the championship. Obviously, um, Steve Keane was disappointed to lose his job, but also had a lot of criticism. But uh, somewhere that's been mismanaged, and I'm not privileged to know. But someone must answer, be, must be answerable to be uh, why, other than the manager. Can I ask then, what is, if there is such a thing, the the, the basic setup for a, a football club in terms of play, play, not playing staff, but backroom staff? Because if I was a fan of a League One, League Two team, right. despite what you're saying about it not being about money, I would be thinking, I know we cannot employ 50 people, we have five. So what are, well, that's where, what are the basics? But I don't, that's where I don't, think, I don't think that should be the case. I mean, I just swerve off slightly on a tangent. A few years ago, I went to watch a, a reserve team tournament in a place called Plutfagram, which is the, one of the regional centres for um, France's... Um, youth system, so they've got Clairefontaine, but they've got one of them in the North region, and it was a youth, it was a reserve team tournament, and every single team played the same formation, and this is no no word of a lie, the same formation, the same style, the same set pieces. It was like watching one club play the same. Now, a little bit critical of France because I think France becomes a little bit stale that they they stick to a plan and it's not the flair. Um, very exciting at times, and, and I don't think you can equate PSG to, to the French league. I think you have to look around that. If British, if English football becomes that way and becomes stale and says, this is the model, this is what we have to have, I think it'll lose its attraction. I think the beauty about the Premier League and the beauty about all the lower clubs who are striving to be in the Premier League is, the, is its multicultural way. You know, we, there's, there's very few other countries taking non-national managers. I mean, how many non, 
non-Spanish managers that are in the La Liga. No, well, it's, we, that's changed and that's interesting as well because we used to have Yugoslavians, Uruguayans, Argentinians, and all of a sudden uh, we kind of vampirized, took from them the best stuff and made the generation of coaches that now are getting to 50 uh, very qualified, high qualified coaches. And then we started getting them, giving them jobs and then Vicente del Bosque won with Real Madrid the, uh, the league and the, and the Champions League and then it's like, oh, Okay, which maybe we should look into Spain for coaches. Became fashionable, but one thing you shouldn't take away is what you, people from abroad can bring you in. Mm. Uh, you take it in. Gillian, why has it, it not been fashionable for a British manager? Although I can only think of John Toshak, you know, to mind now. Why has it not been fashionable for a, a British manager to go and perform in Spain other than maybe Terry Venables also? Bluntly, for the same reason why people don't leave uh, United Kingdom generally. Life here is very good. You're very well paid. That's interesting, yeah. You don't learn a language. Yes. You know, not, don't need to because you go with English everywhere. And that thing we were talking earlier, perhaps that need, uh, there's 25,000 uh, pro-licensed coaches. So everybody's working so hard to be the best one. Everybody at the top, the really good ones, are really, really good ones. Uh, is there and a perception that we're, you know, we want, we, you know, we moan about it, but deep down we are actually addicted to the blood and thunder and guts of English football. You know, um, we moan about it and say it's got to change, but deep down... I don't believe do most look, of you when they it? say, yeah, I want to go abroad. I mean, I've heard it from David Moss. I just want to coach in Spain and all this. and like, learn the language. Oh, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Th th there is so much passion for football. You don't see it anywhere else. And we are talking earlier... Touring with a book, everybody has to talk from their own experience. Is your book, is your book out? <laughs> there's, a, there's a limit of three <laughs> plugs, I think. No, well, you I can like cut it. that out. But I'm going to read it. 500, 600 people in, in Glasgow, in Belfast, in Dublin, just, just uh, coming to hear about Pep Guardiola in Glasgow, in Dublin. In, because their passion is there, the interest for football is there, the money is there, the facilities are the best in the world, the, the uh, stadiums are the best in the world, the fans are the best in the world, no mm. doubt about it. There's so much to go for. You physically are strong guys. You're strong guys. So we're not far off then. You're not far off. You just need. To, you, you, you just adapt a little bit. And I think you are trying to do that as well because finally it feels like there's this transatlantic, huge transatlantic that is Britain is just moving to one side a little bit towards the technical, the, the, the understanding of the game. Mix all that. You're going to be the best in a decade. It, it just Gilliam, feels like I can way. talk from a coaching perspective now, having coached from under nines all the way up to first team. Um, and I worry in this country that uh, once you get to that uh, fantastic place that you strive to, i.e. making it first team and become a regular, that actually players stop getting coached and coaches stop coaching and the best coaching sessions go on in schoolboy and youth football and I know we've already touched on it already that when you get to a senior level with the points being so precious that you are coaching to win as opposed to coaching to develop. Just and to argue with you. Uh, there's not much coaching in first teams in Spain. Okay. Uh, Would you describe it there, as maintenance? It's, yeah, that's it. They, you, you just have to remind them. Yeah. You just have to repeat exercises yeah. so they know what, what they want from them. Yes. Uh, Real Madrid, you go to see them coach. There's no secret. Gilam, I got told that Pep Guardiola coaches from the goalkeeper up to the 18-yard box and tells his players, I can teach you the game from there, uh, anywhere from there to there. But I can't in the penalty area. That's where you just must use your imagination. Certainly. But you see the training sessions. Pig in the middle. And possessions. Yes, and so. retention of the ball. 
That's all it is. Yeah, well, it's maintenance, isn't it? That's it. it. It's good players being kept happy and being kept That's fit. That's it. And, and so it's not so much, I think, it's not so much what you're going to do at that highest level. Uh, it's just what's happened before. What you bring him with you. And as, as you were saying, Mike, earlier, everybody gets born the same in Brazil, in Spain. In, in... And no, I'm going to start it with how the sacrifice that Messi had to take to be a top player. Because people think this is a guy it's with natural. a talent. Yeah. And this is what, exactly what you're talking about. At 13, when he was 13, him and his young parents went to Barcelona. Three months later, his parents had to separate. These are guys that have been together since they were 12, had to separate. And the mother had to take the daughter and one of the brothers back to Argentina. And then, in fact, the two brothers. And his, uh, Messi stayed with his dad. At 13, your mom, this is Argentinian culture, Latin culture, where the matriarchate. Everything goes around the mother. The mother had to leave. He was crying every day, as well as injecting uh, yeah, growth, growth, growth hormones yeah. every day as well. So this is what you have to go through. And if it means getting up early in the morning, and, and I think I, I disagree with you in terms of one uh, players that I, I perhaps don't have the quality, have enough passion though in England. And they will, they will go a lot of them through that. I, I've been recently just doing a little bit of work with Mike O'Neill with Northern Ireland. And the Irish FA are trying to restructure their their development system there. And well, you know, and I went over and had a meeting in Belfast recently, and it was, well, we're not that big, and we've only got a small, you know, country, not a great population. And I said, well, what what is it then about Atletico Bilbao that, if I'm right, never been out the top division, you know, you know, they have produced top league class players, and yet they can only recruit from the Basque region. And the Basque region is a population of... I, I don't know the figures, but it's very small. Less than a million? They, they Yeah, oh, less than a million. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're actually um, stretching it a little bit and trying to find relatives in Argentina and stuff like that. But they will just uh, be... Uh, is the, is the um, how do you say, the, 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 the thing, the exception to the rule? Coaching. Mm. Coaching is, is about working hard with the kids in a way of playing, which they've been playing for, I don't know, since I remember for certain 50, 60 years, which is very English. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they don't, they're not scared at all of the second balls and they make life very difficult to teams that go there. They play it on the wings, so they need players that can play it on the wings. They need strikers like Llorente. Llorente, like Llorente, Muniain, Jaime Martinez, they're a bit of a one-off. And in fact, getting a little bit into the politics of it, uh, uh, Llorente is from Logroño, that's not the best country, but we won't say anything. <laughs> so they, 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 they have that sometimes, but generally, yeah, as you say, there's only three teams in Spain that have never been down, and Atleti Bilbao is one of them, Real Madrid and Barcelona are the others. So, sense of belonging, coaching, a club with a clear idea, and Philosophy. players that, yeah, players that are very well paid, by the way, at the moment, uh, those players don't go anywhere else because... Uh, they only pay 20% taxes instead of 45 or 50% taxes. Mm -hmm. So, and they they stars in their own village, village because it is a village, Bilbao, and they are stars and they enjoy just being out there and being treated like stars. Because somewhere else they will just be another player. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 it's a strange mixture because. But again, it's a culture, it's a philosophy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's something that. which is ingrained. All that 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 is that people are trying to reproduce in England, um, and I, ho I hope it works. They, you know, you have to base it in all those things that they learned from abroad, but putting, adding the, the, their own personal stamp, which I'm 
don't know what it is yet. Well, gentlemen, uh, a huge thank you um, to Guillaume, Mike, Stephen, James uh, for coming on our debut show. And uh, thank you to, uh, to you for listening as well. Um, if you have any suggestions or questions, um, then we're always looking to improve our game. So please feel free to tweet at Umbro with the hashtag The Home Room. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to meeting up again. Thank you.